You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. Happy New Year. My name is Dean, the pastor at City Church. We're about to start going through the Bible in a year as a church family. Uh, where we're actually every week as this goes on for this series for the entire year, we're going to be in a different book of the Bible. It's going to start in a couple weeks where like one Sunday we'll do like just Genesis and then the next week Exodus. Like we're going through like the entire Bible and we'll try to take vacation day when it's Leviticus. Uh, but we're going to go through, uh, we're going to go through the whole Bible. And I'm excited just to get things rolling again, back to two services, get word out that's happening. Uh, for those of you that are maybe ba- back in the door for New Year's, that type of thing, it's just awesome to have everybody here and just grateful uh, that you would choose to make the local church a priority in your new year, which I think is really a very important thing. Hope everybody had a great Christmas. I know we had a very special Christmas Eve services here, uh, and now it's great to be back going full speed into the next year in the Bible, which I think is the most important thing. So let's pray together, and then uh, we'll jump in. Father, we are thankful for your word that you've given to us. We ask we'll be good stewards of the reality that our God has spoken, that you've given us the scriptures, everything we need to know about you, that you want us to know you have given us through our Bibles. Uh, so please lead us by the Spirit to be people who take that seriously. I thank you for our church, the other churches in our city that use all of us to love others, to proclaim the name of Christ, uh, to speak your word in a city that needs it so much. We also lift up our missionaries to you around the world, the Stuarts and the Truexes and the Nelsons in three different continents. We're thankful for them, and we ask you use them in those places where you have sent them uh, to bring the good news. So we ask you to keep the enemy out of this place, out of our city, and speak through me today in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to be in John 17 and working through that chapter in just a minute or so, or a few minutes after I, I do a little bit of introduction work. I, I was, um, you know, you get asked sometimes, like, what's your... Like, what's kind of your hope and kind of your vision for the next year? You've probably been asked that about resolutions, goals, those type of things. And I've been thinking about that just for our church. And what keeps coming to my mind is this, that in this next year, based on reflecting on what's happened in the past and and, and our culture and our society over the past year, and I don't even just mean the virus, I just mean everything you can think of, race tensions, political tensions, all of those things, my hope for us in this next year, and it really is, it's all the time, but really emphasize, is that we be united in Christ under the scriptures, that's where unity comes from, it's not generic, it's not vague, it's in the scriptures, for the sake of the gospel, for our city, and for our church. That we be united in Christ, under the Bible's authority, under the scriptures, for the sake of the gospel in our city, and also through our church. I saw a post on social media recently, uh, at the end of the year, where someone said, describe 2020 in one word. So that was kind of the idea. There's just one word, everybody reply. One word, one word, no commentary, just a word, reply. And people had all kind of different things. And of course, it's a broad swipe whenever you do that. Uh, it doesn't apply to everybody. It's, it's, there's exceptions, obviously. But one of those out of the gajillion replies I read, one really stuck out to me from someone named Katie McCoy, who's an author uh, and a speaker in Texas. She's a believer. And Katie wrote this. Her response was, revealing. That was her word. That 2020 was very revealing. And I thought on that a little bit more. I said, wow, isn't that true? It's revealed oftentimes what we're really trusting in. And also brought to surface, not new things, but things that were already there that just needed to be exposed in our lives. Things that are already sitting underneath that just needed to be magnified and maybe a reality check for us. Things such as our heart allegiances, Like, what really is winning the affections of our hearts? You know, is it politics? 
which seem to develop the most emotions in, in so many people, where people are quicker to talk about their favorite candidate than they are Jesus, when they are quicker to strike down somebody who disagrees politically rather than to strike down, in a loving way, false teaching. We reveal things like our primary identity. Where does it lie? Is it in my race? Is it in my gender? Is it in my family, in my job? Is it in my politics, my political party? It revealed so much. For some, it revealed a lack of empathy towards others and their story. People have talked about their own personal experiences in life that cause them to think the way they do and, and view the world the way they do. And Flavius has showed it revealed a lack of grace, a lack of just empathy for people's experiences. Some fear, a fear that just borderlines sometimes on a godless fear, where our entire lives have revolved around simply not getting something, not catching something. I'm not talking about wisdom, we need nuance in our world, I'm not talking about wisdom and those type of things, but People living in fear, no one's like not allowed to talk about it because it's, it's like taboo, but for Christians, the opposite of, it's not recklessness that we're called to, but the point of our lives is not don't die. That's not the point of the Christian life. It's revealed so much. And these divided heart allegiances, they've brought about division. They've brought about disunity amongst not only Americans, but also Christians, which is much more of a priority and a concern for God. So I'm going to walk us through John 17, and I think it can help us answer these things for our own lives and for our own church about what it means to actually be united in Christ, what it actually means to care about the things that God cares about, and to see what Jesus really thinks about the issue. So I'm just going to work through basically the whole chapter today, because I think there's a lot there for us. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, as in he's about to go and die. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all people, the son possesses all authority, so that, there's a purpose, he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. That God has a remnant, has a people, and Jesus came to save them. This is eternal life, he says, that they may know you, the only true God. We just sang that, only a holy God, like the one true God. Eternal life is that we may know him and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14 that no one comes to the Father except through me. To know me is to know the Father. Because I have glorified you, verse 4, on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Born that Bethlehem manger, lived a sinless life. A life that we could never live. He lived for us. Died, was getting ready to die a death that we deserve for our sin against him. That God in his grace and mercy punished Jesus for our sins rather than us. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence that glory I had with you before the world existed. This is an eternal relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Now, this is the conclusion, this part of John 17, of what is called the farewell discourse, where Jesus is really giving his parting prayers, his parting thoughts to his disciples before he was going to die, rise from the grave, then appear to over 500 people, and then walk on earth for a little while, then ascend to heaven, where he'll prepare a place for us, the Bible tells us. 
In the farewell discourse, Jesus informs his followers what's going to take place after his departure and tells them also what they should expect from the world and also his actual hope for the believers. And the discourse ends with Jesus interceding. It's multiple chapters on behalf of his people, of his disciples, of his followers, because he is the great high priest. And he's now carrying out his role as the interceder between us and God, as God himself. So this prayer is what theologians call, real simply, the high priestly prayer. Jesus is functioning in that role as our high priest. We don't need to go through saints to pray. We don't need to go through someone else to pray. You don't need to go through a priest to pray. We go directly through the Son because he is the high priest for us. You have access to God as a Christian through Jesus on your own. He says in verse one, the hour has come, as in he had a clear purpose, which was completing the work, verse four, that God sent him to to complete. Verse two, he says he was to redeem his people, the ones that God would give him, he says. These are the ones that he is coming to save. And then eternal life, he says, is found in the one true God and in Jesus Christ. In verse 6, I revealed your name to the people you gave me from the word. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They've received them, that's our job, receive God's word, and have known for certain that I came from you. They know that by faith, they have trusted in Christ. They have believed you that you sent me. And he says, I pray for them. Here comes his high priestly duty. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. So this is a particular prayer for the believers. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about the rest of the world. He loves the world. But he's specifically praying for his people. Why? Because they're yours. And so these are the people of God that I'm lifting up to you. It's important to know that God has a special people called the church that he has for himself called the bride of Christ. Like that is who we are. And here is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ now doing a prayer on behalf of his people. How amazing is that to think about? That Jesus prays for us. He says, everything I have is yours, verse 10. And everything you have is mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, as in the people of God, the believers, and I'm coming to you. So Jesus is saying, I'm about to leave, I'm about to go to heaven. There's this Trinitarian idea and form here that he's always, forever, the Son has existed. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world, I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so they may be one as we are one. So his prayer shifts to now the call for the church to be one, for the church to be united. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, not one of them is lost, that all of God's people will always be God's people. And your faults and your failures and your doubts and your mistakes and your times of worry and your sins and all of these things, you never stop belonging to God if you're a Christian because Jesus holds on to you. Isn't that good news all the time? Like Jesus holds on to you. God is never done with you, ever. Even in your most doubtful moments, even your God, what is going on here, even your this big of faith you're still holding on to, God's not done with you in Christ. 
I just love that. <laughs> it gets me fired up just thinking about it. Not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so the scripture may be fulfilled. Referring to Judas here. Now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so they may have my joy completed in them. Everybody's looking for joy. I mean, New Year's Day, I, I call it like National Influencer Self-Help you know, Blogger Day. It's like their Super Bowl. Here's how you can be happier. Just do this, just do that, take these steps, leave that relationship, add this to your life, buy this outfit, on and on and on, and here he's saying, no, I want their joy to be complete. It's only gonna come through them being united in Christ. I've given them your word. That is what I have done. Like the words of God they have received. The world hated them because they're not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. The Christian message is never going to be popular. It's never going to be cool. It's never going to be appealing to people who are far from God. There's nothing we can do to make it sound better, feel better, look better. It is glorious as it is. And the scriptures even say it's foolishness to the world. He goes, even though the world hates them, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. That's, that's not the solution. Like they're supposed to be here to share your love and to share your good news, but I'm praying that you protect them from the evil one while they're here. Because they're not of the world. Their citizenship belongs somewhere else, just as I'm not of the world. So sanctify them. Make them holy, that means. Make them more like you by the truth. Here's Jesus telling us how we grow. How we become more like him how our faith increases by the truth. And then he makes that declaration, no apologies, your word is truth. Like this is the good news, this is the truth. As you have sent me into the world, I'm gonna send them into the world. Like they're gonna be the missionaries, they're gonna be the carriers of this good news. They're gonna be the ones who take this truth where it needs to be heard. I sanctify myself for them so that they may be sanctified, how? By the truth. We see in verse 18 that they are sent into the world, that that's their calling to go as God's ambassadors, as God's missionaries. They are in the world, verse 11 says, like they're supposed to be here. God doesn't want us to shelter, doesn't want a holy huddle of people who are self-righteous and so religious that they're not interacting with the lost world. He says, but they're not of the world. They're here, but they don't live here. Might be somebody from you know, the South who moves in New York. Yeah, you live in New York, but if you were born and raised in Bainbridge, you don't sound like New York. You don't look like New York. Yes, you live there, you work there, you paycheck there, you pay rent there, go to school there, all of those things. You're, you're there, but you're not really of there. You eat Vienna sausages. It says in verse 14, the world has hated them. Why should we expect any different? Now, we shouldn't do things to make people hate us, but based on the truth we believe, it shouldn't be on the actions we commit. Their unity with each other and their union with God, he said, can also cause people to believe in the Son of God. The seeing how Christians support each other and love each other and are for each other and are committed to each other. He says in verse 20, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Like, let our oneness be the model for their oneness. 
and they also be in us that the world may believe you sent me. Like every, so much goes back to mission. It's about the glory of God and his mission. Let them see us as one so they may know that this is real. I've given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so they may be made completely one. The world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. I mean, what a prayer. What a petition from the Son to the Father. That the high priestly prayer is really a hope-laden, it's a faith-fueling prayer, because here we have the king of the universe interceding for his people. That we aren't merely a part of God's plan for reconciling the world to himself, we're central to it. Like, that's the glory of the church. Like, God doesn't just have the church we can come together on Sunday, even though there's a major, it's a major part of being a Christian. There's more to be a Christian than going to church, absolutely, but there's definitely not less. Like picking a church, a congregation, you're united to, you're a part of, that you make a priority. And then from there, you see that it's bigger than just us coming together. It's about us also going out. The sent people of God, under God's word, we sanctify them by your truth, united for the mission of God and the glory of God to the world. See, unity is a Christian word, but also an idea that sadly has been hijacked and redefined by the world. Remember, we're in the world, we're not of the world. The world will hate you, but not only will the world hate you, sometimes they'll steal your words. And they'll try to define them by their own terms. Notice the unity Jesus is talking about here is very focused and specific, which means it's achievable. Very focused, very specific, it's achievable. Sanctify them by your truth. Make them one as we are one. Don't take them out of the world. Protect them while they're in it. It's very focused. Like he's saying, let these people, the Christians, be together under the scriptures for the glory of your name and the sake of the world. Unlike the way our world talks about unity, that is very temporary, it's vague, it's oftentimes branded and marketed, and it changes, it changes with the next trend or the next tragedy. And they never really tell us exactly what we're supposed to be united around. We just see these vague declarations of let's be one, let's be united, same team, in this together, all these type of things, and we're going, okay, and everybody gets on board with it because it's genius marketing and celebrities come on and tell us we're, you know, this, and, but we don't really know exactly what it is and how it's achieved, and what it even looks like. And then it changes course a few weeks later, and the next thing happens, and we're united around the next thing, and everybody's got to post something, and it gets confusing. But it's important to know that Jesus' interest, this is really important to get from John 17, this is going to fly against everything that we're taught in mainstream culture, his interest is not in the unity of the world. It's not. Like, God is not concerned that Americans be united. Now, we're called not to be vengeful, spiteful, stir up division, wrathful, all those type of things. So he's not saying the opposite of that is go cause division. That's not what he's saying. But his, that God's heartstrings are not that Americans be united. It's not that Republicans be on the same page. It's not that Democrats come together. 
it's not that the sports team is one heartbeat, one goal. That's not God's concern. His concern is not whether Americans are united without much concern about Jesus at all. The concern here is the heart allegiance. It's either going to be your heart with Jesus or it's going to be with something else. And when Christians have split allegiances to different things as ultimate, it's always going to cause division. When Christians divide, it's usually over matters of lesser things. I'm not talking about the issue of false teaching. That's the thing we should divide over. The scriptures call us to divide over false teachings over and over and over again throughout all of Paul's letters. But where Christians get in trouble is when what's sanctifying us and causing oneness in us is something else other than the scriptures. The something else's will drive disunity every single time. I saw someone post something from 2012 that said oftentimes when churches, when people aren't prioritizing the church gathering is often when the church can be disunified. People become frustrated, dissatisfied, uh, feel like they're out of the loop, all these type of things. And I was like, wow, think about this for a minute. When was the church in America in general the most intense over the past year in division? When was it? When we were locked down and weren't allowed to meet. So where do we go instead for community, for opinion, for commentary, online, the news, social media, echo chambers? And all of a sudden, every Christian online, not every Christian, many Christians online, they're not talking about Jesus, they're not talking about their church, not talking about their family, not sharing their vacations, they're not you know, talking about this fun thing they did last night. Instead, they're all sharing their opinion on race, their opinion on politics, their opinion on masks or no masks, their opinion on just on and on and on and on, and you see Christians just go fractured, 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 fractured. And here's Jesus saying, I want the world to see them in me so they may know you're the true one. When over the past year, I think a lot of people, they seek, think Christian, they just think voting block. Conspiracy theorist. Race agitator. Rather than we are one in Christ. When unity is weak, our loves get exposed. Like when unity is weak in the church, our loves get exposed for what they are because they're going to go somewhere else. It's also important to know what unity is not. See, I'm convinced if we're united in Christ, our bonds will be strong enough to bear the tensions of disagreements. It's okay to disagree on the things I mentioned. It's okay to disagree on politics. It's okay to disagree on the best avenue to do this. It's okay to disagree on, you know, what is the best measures for, you know, the virus. Like, it's okay to disagree on all those type of things. But when our unity is strong, we'll be, our bonds will be great enough to be able to bear those tensions. That doesn't break fellowship. It doesn't have to make you have to go leave the church and go somewhere. Like, it doesn't do those type of things because we know that we agree on what matters most. 
Like we agree on what's of most importance. But what unity is not is, oh, just anything goes as long as you don't argue. Like let's just all accept everything. One Episcopalian priest, he said, give me heresy over schism. Like give me, give me heresy, I'll take heresy, which the Episcopalian church has gone way down that road of heresy, by and large, not every single one, but by and large denying all kind of essential scriptural things. That does not mean there aren't some remnants there and that type of thing, but like very bad place. You can look it up yourself. He said, we'll take that any day over the church being divided. Because the church divided, and as a result, the Anglican church in America was largely created, which is a fantastic denomination. And he said, I'll take heresy over fighting. It's like, whoa, 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 not Jesus. Jesus said, be united in the truth. Make them one as we are one, not generically. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by your truth. So unity is not anything goes. It's not, this is better than schism. See, modern unity looks like this in a worldly sense. Just be united around being united. Be unified around being unified. And that's what's really crept into liberal theology. I don't mean politics, talk about theology. It was that idea, kind of using the word love generically in a way that God would not use the word love to, to mean anything goes. I was meeting with a pastor uh, who was new to town years ago. I went to Starbucks, of course, and um, I call it my local drinks, going to Starbucks. And I was just, we were just getting to know each other. He reached out to me. He was very nice, great, great person. And I just wanted to know where he was. I just wanted to know what he believed. So I just asked him a couple of very basic, like not like if, if you sat down with somebody from your career or like your interest area, like those kind of conversations you would have about work and like what you, that kind of stuff. So I just asked him some really basic questions about just what he believed, and he says, "I, I don't, I don't want to talk about beliefs. I, I just want to be united." And I was like, "Oh boy," and I said, "Oh," well, I took a sip of my green tea and said, um, "Held my pinky up when I did it too, just for effect," and. Uh, and I, and, I, and I said, uh, united around what? And he was like, love. And I was like, oh. And he just didn't have, that's all, that's all it was. It's kind of generic love. Like, I mean, it's like, thanks, Oprah. I mean, like, what does that even mean? And John 17, unity is critical. But the unity is not around unity. It's around the scriptures and the people of God. He said he's not praying for everybody. He's not praying the world would have this mushy sense of unity. He's praying for those who, in verse 6, have undergone conversion. Verses 6 through 8, he's praying for those who trust God's word, who have scriptural fidelity in their lives. In verse 8, who believe that Jesus really is God's unique son. Like, we can't muddle the terms of unity. Well, what, what, what does unity feel like? Is it all besties all the time, 24-7? No, it's that we're one in the scriptures that that overrides any other identity and the fact that it's okay to let others have different opinions that are Christians in my own church that I go to because we're united in Jesus. So it's okay if somebody five rows over for me voted differently than I did. And it's okay that somebody three rows behind me thinks schools should be closed and the other person thinks that schools should be open. Like it's, yeah, we can have a great conversation about it and even have a little poke back and, back and forth privately, but... It's not ultimate, because the scriptures are what's ultimate. See, Paul was predisposed to conflict, who wrote much of the New Testament. 
He had issues with Peter. He had issues with Barnabas. But they were able to overcome those things because they had a common word they were united in and they had a common mission they were united around. So what's the solution to all of this? Like, okay, let's be united. Let's, okay, like, let's not be divided over lesser issues or something else's. I really believe it's to be Bible-saturated people. It's not the only thing, but I think it's the most important thing. Because either we're going to fill our minds with, again, the messaging of the world, and where does that get us? Just look at the past year, if you want to see where it gets us. We become Christians who have no empathy for those that have different experiences than we do. Become Christians who won't even have a conversation about injustices that happen in our world because our politics just blocks it, won't even hear it, won't even allow it. We become people that have fears that can't even be questioned. We can go on and on and on, but when we're Bible-saturated people, all of a sudden it's the scriptures that are, that are filling us. So that's why we're going to do the Bible in a year. And I know a Bible reading plan is easy to get off track. It's easy to get discouraged. I mean, I, I know that. I, I even download an app on my phone where they read the Bible to me. Because I just know myself. I know it's really easy to miss a day or forget to read, so I, I listen to it in the car while I drive somewhere. It's like 15 minutes a day. I have a British lady named Rosie who reads it to me. I love Rosie. And so I, I kind of go back and forth. I'll read it on my own if I have it, but then, of course, because I'm human, I'll forget, and it's like, you're a pastor, you sometimes don't read your Bible? Yes, <laughs> it's easy to forget that. There's bowl games on, you know, I mean, like, you know, just like, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's a human. Uh, so I have, so Rosie, you know, reads to me, but let's be a Bible-saturated people. On our website, we have a, a guide that you can download that has questions for the readings uh, that can allow you to read along. We're going to actually do overviews of every book. Some of y'all never, I mean, I'm guessing I've never heard a sermon, you know, a full sermon on the book of Ezra or Lamentations in your life. That's okay, but we're going to now. <laughs> we're going to be able to understand how all the Bible flows together, understand how all the Bible makes sense, because we're going to be a church that's far from perfect. We don't have it all figured out. One thing we do have figured out is the Bible is the Word of God. It is God's word that's been given to us, and it's our job to be good stewards of that. So also, what it, again, not, not, I'm not here 52 Sundays a year either, but what would it look like? You know what? Like, we're just going to make it happen. We're just going to make church a party in our lives, and we're going to make every Saturday night, we're going to decide that we're going to make a Saturday night decision. We're going to church tomorrow. Unless, you know, you're out of town. Again, I'm not here 52 weeks out of the year. No one's keeping attendance, none of those kind of things. What would that look like? You know, we're, we're just going to do it. And we're going to be a part of this Bible reading plan, and we're going to make this a party in our lives. I, I really think you're going to see a church that's united, and a mission that's vibrant in this city, and families that are changed and are growing, and you see, you see all these things that take place and happen. Uh, because either you're going to get filled with the scriptures, or you're going to get filled with something else. I think that's one of the things that makes our college students that I'm very proud of, and, and, the, and the ministry they have on campus, and the distinct lives they live, the ones that I interact with and talk with, what makes them unique is their love for the scriptures. Like, like they want the Bible. They like want to be in their Bibles. Like if I stood up here and like gave self-help talks every day, or five ways to be happy, they would leave. You know, like they, they, want, they, want their, they want the Bible because guess what? Well, one, they believe it's the word of God, but guess what else is happening? What's the messaging they're hearing from everywhere else on campus? It's people who don't love God's word. They don't love God's truth. And as a, as a result, they don't love God. So we're going to be a Bible-saturated people. And I kind of want to give that sort of vision for it today through the scriptures 
And then we're going to jump in and we're going to go. And I'm excited about it. It's a different kind of prep and different kind of role for me in terms of what I'm doing during the week. I mean, Genesis, it's like, holy cow, it's a really big book. We're going to do it in one week. You know, so, and, and that type of stuff. I'm excited for it. I think it's a great idea. We think that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's how we grow. It's a primary means that God uses us to grow our faith. And uh, I think through it, we'll be either unified in the truth or we'll be disunified in something else. I think 2020 has revealed a lot. So I think there's a lot of work for us to do in our hearts. A lot of work about what really matters concerning the scriptures and the word of God. As we are one, let them be one. What a prayer from Jesus. Let's pray together and we'll sing some good news. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful that our high priest, Jesus Christ, intercedes for us. And that high priestly prayer where he declared for us to be one, for us to be sanctified by the truth, that your word is truth. Lord, as you keep us in the world as is your will, we know also that you will protect us from the evil one. You will keep us together in the scriptures. So we ask that we'll be found faithful. I pray for those in this room right now that maybe never really read their Bibles before, that you just be with them as they get started and that you just give them grace along the way. And I'm thankful for the things you provided for us to make it even easier, like Bible apps and people reading it to us and things on our phone and iPad and everything available to us. Lord, we're grateful for that common grace. So I just ask that as we get in the Bible this year, that it will change us, that it will make us more like Jesus, and it will unite us for the glory of your name and the mission of your church. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand up and sing some good news together.